Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great stuff. Doxedo Hatfield, let's get out our Bibles. Um, just to mention, we're not going to do the handout Bibles like we always do, just for the sake of keeping it uh, COVID safe there. But in time, we will bring those back. So if you need to, maybe borrow from a friend or on your phone, whatever it is, if you don't have a paper Bible with you today. But you can open it up to the second half of your Bible. That's called the New Testament. And it starts with these four records of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you've got the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. And then you get these letters, a series of letters written to all these early churches. And one of these letters, you can just keep on paging, you'll get to the, the letter to the church in Ephesus, the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 4, we are still in our series, I think it's like week 6 today, um, that we've been calling Ethnic Blends as we are doing this journey of diversity through the book of Ephesians. And what we've been trying to almost internalize over these couple of weeks and beyond is this prophetic picture. At the Right at the end of the Bible, we see this picture that John receives of the end of all things. And one of the things that he sees is that it speaks of a multitude of nations, this Greek word ethnos, that come together around the throne of Jesus. People from all these different backgrounds and, and, and cultures and, and languages and skin colors, they all come together around one thing, around Jesus. And we believe if that is the kingdom picture, that's what we are going to work toward in the city of Pretoria. So we're saying we're not a multicultural church because we want to celebrate all the different cultures in our church, but we want to elevate one culture, and that's kingdom culture. We're not a multiracial church because we believe the Bible says there's one race, the human race, but we are a multi-ethnic church, a diverse unity of people coming together in Pretoria from different languages and backgrounds and colors, saying we want to serve Jesus together for the church and for the city. And so we're taking that journey as this book is challenging us. Now, I want to say as we get to chapter 4 today, that there have been many, many challenges. If we spend time today to hear all of them from people, the global lockdown almost unlocked so many challenges in people's lives, personally and corporately. Financial challenges, emotional challenges, relational challenges. I see just the nodding from the people. It's like, that's me, that's me. But I think one of the spiritual challenges, one of them, that the global community faced is this question, what is the church? What is church? Is it a video? Is it a time slot? Is it a building? And how crucial is the church actually to your following of Jesus? If you're a Christ follower this morning, how crucial is the church to that? Because I want to show us today, man, Paul comes as he writes. He's in prison at the moment in Rome, and he's writing to this church in Ephesus that he helped to plant. And he wants to encourage them. He wants to passionately speak to them and say, I want to challenge you with regard to your views of the church. Because I want you to see, and I want to challenge us today, as Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, that he's also writing to us today as a church. And he's saying, don't just now start simply coming to the church be the church. Be the church. And as we write this today, as we, as we go through it, I want you to see how he challenges us of our picture of what church is. So chapter 4, verse 1, read with me. This is a long passage of Scripture, and it's very dense. So we can't get through all of this. We're going to just touch upon the big highlights. Your community groups are going to be interesting this week. Um, so let's read together. Verse 1. 
Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner in the Lord, urge you to what? Walk worthy of the calling you have received. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, For it says, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he took the captives captive, and he gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth, coming to the earth? The one, Jesus, who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. To what? To equip the saints, Christians, for the work of ministry. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching. By human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Yeah, okay, that's big. And there's a lot there. But I want us to see that when Paul starts here with verse 1, this is a moment of transition. Now, for three chapters, Paul has been eloquently. Ephesians is thick, isn't it? It's like we read one long passage the other night in our community group, and afterwards we were all just like, whoa, okay, what, what was that? But as he's been eloquently writing for three chapters about what? The gospel, the good news, God coming into human history in the person of Jesus to confront our pain and sin and brokenness and rebellion. And so typically, chapter 2 verse 80 says, for you are what? Saved by grace through faith. That's what he's been writing about. And now, starting in chapter 4 verse 1 that we read today, he is now transitioning from speaking about the good news to the effect of the good news. What happens when the good news takes hold of a people's life, of a group's heart. What happens in that? And what does Paul say? He says, I, prisoner in the Lord, what? Urge you as a people, that you is plural, it's to all of us collectively. He says, I urge you to what? Walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Dr. Hatfield, we have to walk worthy of the calling we've received. All throughout the Bible, that's how it works. God reveals himself and people respond. It's not the other way around. We don't coax God into blessing us. He reveals and we respond. So to respond in obedience, it's always a response to what? The grace of God. God's grace leaves us to respond in obedience. Paul says you have a calling 
That's what call means. I call you from something to something. When I bathe my kids in the evening and they're playing, they always want as many minutes as they can in the bath, so just going for it. They call me literally every three minutes. Any of the parents know that? You're like, we, we good, leave us, we're going to play. But then every 30 seconds, they call you back. And it's like, just call for one more toy. And, you know, just look at this little tower we built with foam. Um, and sometimes parents love this one the most. They call you for no reason whatsoever. They just call you, and you get there, and it's like, yep, what's it? And they're like, no, nothing. We just, we just good. We just wanted to call you. We just want to check if you're still there. So being called is responding to something and stepping into it. And Paul comes, and he challenges the church today to say, I want you to respond in faith. I want you to follow. I want you to step out. I want you to walk. I want you to respond to the call of God upon your life. I think very often in Christianity, we have this issue that we think there is nothing that is asked of Christians. And I think that's not the truth. Yes, the grace, the the salvation that we receive in Jesus is a free gift. It's His life. It's His work. It's His finished work. But that grace, it transforms us. It enlists us. It empowers us. It calls us. But very often we say, no, it's just, just, you're a Christian, and that's pretty much it. So one theologian, he spoke about this passage, and he said, our problem is that we have a $1 million salvation and a five-cent response. It can't be, Jesus, you are so good. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. And now my life just kind of goes on as normal. It doesn't make any sense. Paul says, no, if God is so good, if his love is so compelling, If his grace is so sweet, if his truth is so freeing, what? Live like it. Live like it then in response. He's calling us as a church to respond. And what is the response? I want us to see just three things today. He's calling us to walk together as a church in relationship, to work together, and to worship him together. That's the calling of this church. And here's just a one-liner. If you remember nothing else from today, I think in a season where church became so abstract, in my pajamas, on the couch, whenever I had time for church, I want to challenge us by saying that church is not content that you consume. It's a community that you commit to. The church is not simply content that you consume. It's a community that walks together, works together, and worships together. So let's look at that first one. Paul says, we are called to what? To walk together in relationship. I think one of the greatest misconceptions of the Christian faith is that it's this private enterprise. It's private. It's in your heart. Now, yes, Christianity is deeply personal, but it's not private. It's at its very core. It's a corporate, communal, relational faith. Listen to what Paul says here. Read with me, verse 2. He says, with humility and gentleness, with patience, what? Bear with one another in love. With one another. Keep the unity that I've given you. That phrase, one another, Paul uses that more than 40 times in his letters. He says, Christians, receive one another. Think about one another. Serve one another. Forgive one another. Love one another. Build up one another. Seek the good for one another. Submit to one another. Encourage one another. And on and on it goes. Can I ask you this morning, do you have a one anothering in your life at the moment? Is that what church is? 
If I could ask you for a second, even if you were to just close your eyes and I ask you, just imagine church for me. What do you see in your mind's eye when you think about the church? Do you see a building? Do you see a time slot when I say the word church? Do you see a preacher or some ministry? Because I think Paul is saying when you think about church, you should think about the people. Specific people, spirit in the people. Who is the person that I'm drinking coffee with this week? Who is the young couple in the church that I'm going to bless by looking after their kids so they can have a date night? Who is the person that I'm spending time with week in, week out to ask them, speak wisdom into my relational life, into my financial life, into my sexuality, into the way that I work, my work life? Who is the person that I'm taking initiative with to phone this week and just catch up with them, just check in with them, or to just ask them, pray with me? The church is not content, it's a people. It's a, it's a spirit-indwelt people. Do you have that in your life this morning? And so Paul starts where we all struggle with our egos. He says, humility. That's what keeps us. So either I have an inflated ego. I'm too important. I'm too busy. I will not fit in because I am so different. Or I have a broken ego. I'm unlovable. No one would care. No one would invest in me. But that's why community in the church is not like any other thing. You can gather all, you know, a whole bunch of friends to golf together and to crossfit together and to run together and to knit together. You can do that. You don't need Jesus for that. But for a diverse people to come together, not based on their similarities, but in spite of their similarities, you need Jesus. That's why Jesus says, they ask him, tweet for us the whole kingdom picture. In one line, what does he say? Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, this vertical love of God and for God and from God. And then what comes from that? The second command, love your neighbor as yourself. If God does not initially heal us and transform us and continually heal and transform us, this will never work. We can still gather like this and look nice and greet and hello, and hello but we can never become a family if we do not have this. So love is not this feeling. It's not, I don't wait in the church many weeks until the feeling of love starts to erupt in my heart. No, Paul says it's a choice. In response to the grace of God, we're just saying in view of your mercies, I choose to love these people. Can I let you in on a secret? These people are very different. <laughs> These people are very different. Guys, we have such diverse backgrounds and languages and cultures seated just even today here. And guess what? Some of us, many of us, all of us are difficult to love at times. Can I be honest? I am very difficult to love at times. Some of you I saw in the lockdown are difficult to love at times. That's why it's a choice in response to God. I choose to love this person practically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. How can I be there for you? You know, secular culture tells us, look into yourself to find your, your, your hope and your purpose and your calling. So secular culture says life is this happiness-directed, self-oriented pursuit. But Christianity is the opposite. It's a other-oriented, God-directed pursuit. I don't find myself in myself. I find myself in God and in others. 
Is that what church is? Am I loving people at the moment? It's a 24-hour job, 24-7, to love the people of this church emotionally, spiritually, relationally. But Paul gives us a second, just in case you think this is too fluffy. It's like love, wow, what does that even mean? Paul gives us a second ingredient to, to walking together in community. He says it's not just love, it's what? It's truth. It's truth. Read with me in verse 15. He says, but speaking what? The truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head. And then at the end he says, as this body, when every part of it works properly, that is when that will happen. When we are speaking truth in love to one another. So Paul says, the church is like a body. That's almost the metaphor that he uses here. And Jesus is the head and we are the parts. So some of us are fingers, some of us are calf muscles, some of us are collarbones, some of us are strong glute muscles, and thank you for you, I appreciate you, and some of us are just a phalange, if that's in something in anatomy, I'm not sure if it is, but it sounds right, so that's what some of us are, each one of us are a part of this body, but Paul says it's only when we are, and literally that translation means when we are truthing each other in love, that's when the body grows. That's when it heals itself of its wounds and its hurts, when we are truthing one another in love. So yes, Christian community is self-sacrificing love. I want to serve and love you. But it's at the very same time I speak Jesus-centered truth into your life. Church is not a service you attend. It's a community that lovingly truths one another every week. So love means that I will stick it out with you no matter what. But truth means I will be honest with you no matter what. Why? Because I see what the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian here today, I see what the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through your life. And I want to join him in saying, I want to, to see the very best version of who Jesus has made you to be to come out of your life. And I'm going to join the Spirit in speaking that truth in and from your life. So if we're not doing that, it's not the truth. We can say, you know, people say we shouldn't judge people, but go and read 1 Corinthians 15. Go and read Matthew 5 and 6. Jesus says, yes, we should not judge each other outside the church. We're not judging the city, but he says in the church, yes, we should be judging each other's lives, not in a judgmental way, but making a judgment, speaking the truth in love. So the way that you are stewarding your finances, the way that you're raising your kids, the way that you're expressing your sexuality, the way that you're treating your colleagues or your employees, is someone speaking truth from a loving perspective into your life every single week. Because if I see a Christian brother or sister and they are fading from community or from the faith and I say nothing, that's not love. If I see a Christian brother or sister that sees themselves and they speak of themselves as this wretched sinner that God just tolerates, and I say nothing, that's not love. If I see a Christian brother or sister who gives of themselves sexually to someone who's not their spouse, and I say nothing, that is not love. Or if I see a brother and sister in the Christian faith that, that makes racist comments and racist jokes in my presence, and I don't say something to them, that is not love. 
No, these two need each other. If love means that I'm just going to stand back and watch your life become a dumpster fire for the sake of not offending you, that's not truth. But if truth means that I'm just going to carelessly just speak at you from this high horse of, you know, I've got it all together like a Pharisee, that's not love. We need both. But maybe you say, no, but you know, I'm, I'm a fiercely private person. I don't have time between my work and my hobbies and, and my kids or, you know, people don't reach out to me in the church. Or maybe I say, I already have friends. You know, I have all these things. That's why I can't be in community with people. Can I challenge us? I think Paul is saying you can have privacy or you can have maturity, but you cannot have both. The church is not content that we consume. Let's be honest. We enjoyed the pajamas on the couch, <laughs> but we enjoyed it so much that it became, became alluring. This is actually better. Just watching a video on a Thursday afternoon at my own leisure, I like this kind of church. But Paul says, as great as that is, that is not church. Church is not simply the content we consume. It's a community that we commit to. So I want to challenge all of us. Join a community group. If you are not in a community group yet, I want to challenge you to do so. It will not solve all the relational problems of your life. But it's the foundation in this church of where we get to know each other. Because guess what, friend? To love you and to speak truth to you, you know what you need? I need to know you. And Sundays are great for many things, but they're not great to know each other. I've been so impressed with our community groups during this lockdown. They have been loving each other, taking food to people who are suffering and struggling, giving financially between each other to help and raise up people. They were helping people who had suffered immense loss and retrenchment, they were helping people who in Sunnyside got robbed right outside of their house. One of our families had an armed robbery take place in their house. We had people that felt depressed to the, the deepest extent they've ever had. And you know what happened? It wasn't a program. It wasn't some service like church Uber Eats that just blesses you. It was the community of people loving and truthing each other. That's beautiful. That's the church. And I've used all my time on that first one. So we will run through these other two. Paul says, secondly, it's not just walking together. Don't just love it when a preacher does that. It's like, you should have looked at your own time, Joe. I know, but I'm also out of this, all right? So just be gracious. It's been six months. Um, <laughs> the camera. <laughs> Abby, Abby prayed last night, our eldest. She said, can I pray for you, Dad, as we were just praying before she goes to bed? I'm wasting more of my time, as you can see. And... I'm like, yeah, please pray for me. And she just prays. She says, God, thank you for my dad. And I pray that he will preach well tomorrow and not have any stress. So I was like, amen for that. So I'm not stressed, guys, as you can see. So secondly, Paul says, not just walking together, but what? Working together. Read with me there. Verse 7. He says, now grace, and you'll see this word means the gift that God has given us, was given to each one of us. He says, when Christ ascended back to the Father, what? He gave gifts to people. Verse 11. And he himself, Jesus, gave some of the people in the church, some of the leaders, to be what? Apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors and teachers. And why did God do that? Give all these gifts so that we can sing a song every second week, 
so that we can watch a video. No, he says to equip the saints. That's a word Paul uses for Christians. To what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip us for the work of ministry. I think another massive misconception about the church is that it functions like a professional sport. You've got a couple of paid people who play the game and masses of people who just observe the game passively. But Paul says that can't be. Why? Because the saints, every single person who has become a Christian through faith in the finished work of Jesus, every single person has been called to a work of ministry in the church's gathering and in the city. Each and every one of you, if you're a Christian, you have received ministry from God. And friends, church is an incredibly boring and irrelevant thing. If the full ask upon my life is that for the next 50 years, I just go to a building once a week and listen to someone speak and sing a couple of songs, then it feels so irrelevant. But if I realize that God has given me a 24-7 calling as a doctor, as a painter, plumber, pediatrician, poet, as a pastor, then I know that in every moment of my week and my life, I have been called to a work of ministry. And it's when the church gathers and it's as the church scatters, you have a ministry. That changes completely how I think about church. Think about almost, imagine we had this place called Rifle School, just Rifle School, and every week we come to Rifle School gathering, and we sing songs about our rifles, and how straight we shoot, and how the enemies will fall, and and we, we speak every week passionately about cleaning your rifle, and choosing the right rifle, and aiming your rifle, and, and making sure your targets are sure. And every week, you know, in the years, we have conferences about rifles, and it's so exciting. And you go and listen to the sermon on rifles again on Tuesday in our community groups. We speak about our rifles. But here's the challenge. Not a single one of you have any intention of ever shooting anyone. In fact, you don't even own a rifle. You're not defending anything. You're not attacking anything. You're not at war with anyone. So every week I listen to this story about the rifle and I, you know, I nod like, yes, that's good. It's good stuff about the rifles. But I have no intention of shooting a rifle, of owning a rifle, of doing anything. with it. Guys, that's the church in 2020. Someone is doing the ministry. And man, I'm glad that, you know, we, 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 the rifles, we're doing it, guys. How boring is church when that's the case? But when you know that tomorrow, that is Monday, you've been conscripted because someone, heaven forbid, is attacking South Africa, and you have been pulled into the war, and you've got one weekend to listen to the seminar, this workshop on your rifle, and to shoot, and to clean it, and to hold it, and to defend yourself, and your family, and your country, then you listen. Because then it's like, God, I'm going into battle tomorrow. That is what church is. I see doctors here today. I see electricians here today. I see businessmen here today. I see guys in high school here today. Do you know that you have a calling from God? You have a work of ministry. And Paul says that every single person has has been given this grace by God. In the Greek, it speaks about a gift. Every person who's a Christian is like a gift that's added to the church. 
You are a gift to the church if you're a Christian. Why? Because we have one task, not different tasks. We have one task and different responsibilities. What is that one task? All of us together are called to the task of building up the body and bringing the kingdom to the city. We are all tasked, regardless of your age or your background, regardless of your education or the work that you do, you are called to build up the body on a weekly basis and to bring the kingdom of God into the city through your work, through your play, through your parenting, through your friendship. That's the calling that God has upon your life. Alan Platt, who's the founder of Doxadale, he puts it like this. He says, people are not just coming to church to be blessed. They are coming to church to what? To be equipped. They are coming to be equipped as city changers. Full-fledged disciples who will execute God's agenda on the planet. They are not just attending a program. They are the program. Guys, you are the program. Tomorrow morning, we are going to war. In your house, in your office, in your commune, when you put your scrubs on, you are at war for the kingdom of God, and the victory has been won. And he says, now I send you. I've called you. You have a calling. In every interaction of your week, you are bringing the kingdom of God into the city. We are called. I think, you know, my wife and I, a couple of weeks ago, we just rewatched one of the SA Survivor uh, kind of seasons. Um, I don't know why we watch those things. It's literally like you could, you could almost jump between seasons, and I would have no idea because it's always the same thing over and over again. But this one stage, they're asking this team, they say, this is the task to build a boat from these scrap things that we're going to give you. So the team has a task. It's the same task, but what does a good team do? They say immediately, okay, responsibilities. You start, you know, gathering the wood. You start stripping these things, uh, you know, all the twigs from it. You start creating an area where we can build the boat. You make sure that we've got enough. So everyone has a responsibility, but it's the same task, friends. We all have the same task. We have to break this perception in the church that there are two classes of Christians in the church. There are professionals and amateurs. That's nonsense. We are all called by God, even if we have different responsibilities. And yes, we can't go into that today. But Paul, this is maybe for another time, but he says, yes, there are these, it's often called the five-fold ministry. There are these gifts people. All of us are gifts. But see, some people have also been specifically gifted to build up the church. And this is the, these five, you know, offices that we get. It's not a name. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a title. So you can't be apostle so-and-so. You can't be prophet so-and-so. Evangelist, you know, sometimes in Africa we add all of them, right? So it's like evangelist, prophet, pastor, doctor. You can't do that. These are functions. So the apostle is this person who's been gifted. They were the original apostles chosen by God. But the apostle, the gifting of apostleship, small a apostle, is this person who has the word and the blueprint of the kingdom of the church in his or her mind. So they set up the church. They plant churches. They set up networks. Or you have this, this person called the prophet. All of us are called to prophesy. But this person, is, and this is not foretelling the future. This is just bringing what God is speaking into a situation, into a season, there are some people who've got this accuracy, this clarity when they speak God's words. The evangelists, all of us are called to share our faith with those who don't know Jesus. 
But these people have been gifted with a boldness, with an effectiveness, and they teach all of us. And they go out and they're effective in what they do. You can be a doctor and have the gift of an evangelist. You can be a plumber and have the gift of an evangelist. And then you have the pastors. This is a picture of just the shepherd. God says, I'm a shepherd and I've chosen under shepherds to shepherd my flock and the teacher. These are people who expound the word, who break open the word so that we can follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. God has a calling upon your life. Let me just end. We'll speak about worship another time. If you can just remember these three sets, these two sets of three in Doxodeo, this will help you so much. What is that calling? You're thinking, well, what is my calling? What is this calling that God has upon my life? How do I work 24-7 for God's kingdom? It's these two things. In Doxodeo, we say that a disciple, a follower of Jesus, has these three areas in their life. It's knowing God, it's loving people, and it's impacting my world. It's impacting the world that God has given you. And so my question to you is, is church just a service, a video that I attend? Or am I saying, God, in this week, how can I move forward? Jason or Marit, how can I move forward, Malcolm, in his knowing of God, in his loving of people, and in the way that he understands how he impacts his world? It was so amazing in our community group on Wednesday. The last question, as we broke into our very small group, so it was just us three guys in our group sitting together, and we just asked this question, what is the work that God has called you to in your vocation? And one of the guys, honest, just said, I don't know. I don't know what it means for God to call me in my vocation. I don't know. Help me. I love that. What does it mean for you? And if you're saying then, what does it mean for you to impact your world? This is this other set of three. We say that in Doxodeo that we believe that God has called every single city changer, every single disciple. When it comes to the world that they occupy, your space, your house, your work, your street, your commune. These are the three things that we want to see shifting in our city, spiritual lostness. People do not know their father. They do not have life in Jesus. But secondly, social pain. People are hurting in our city. People are, are, are hungry. People are getting beaten in their own homes. People are getting trafficked. There's pain in our city, and God has called you as the church to do something about it. And thirdly, systemic brokenness. There are systems in our city, not just incidents, but systems. And some of you have been placed in places of influence. You can join networks of people working on solutions that bring hope to our city. You have a rifle, and we are not just going to speak about it on Sundays. I want to commission you every Sunday to go and to make disciples build up the body this week. Don't wait for a program. You take initiative and bring the kingdom into the city. Paul says the church walks together in a relationship. We worship together and we work together. The church is not content that we consume. It's a community that we commit ourselves Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray for for every single heart here today. Maybe we convince God of 
your calling upon your life. God, you say that you want to mature us, that we're not blown just to and fro. But you want to make us strong, God, to stand for your kingdom in our home, in our work, in our office. And I pray, God, that this church would sense such a a calling, God, upon each of their lives, that they would know that they are a gift given to the church. They are a gift given to the city. And that we would receive that gift firstly from you. You are the ultimate gift, Jesus. We pray that in your name.